We've been singing often tonight about Christ being born as a baby in Bethlehem. And we do rightly reflect upon Christ's incarnation this time of year. That is, his being willing to be born of a woman. To take on the fullness of human nature. To be all that it is to be human, like me and like you. And in that, we see the humility of our King. But his incarnation, his taking on flesh, is just one instance demonstrating his humility. Indeed, the whole of his life was one series of self-emptying humility examples. Him stooping down, and theologians call this phase of Christ's existence the humiliation, the state of his humiliation. And tonight, I'd like to walk through the steps of this state, this state of humiliation, so that we can see the humility of our king on grand display. And then at the end, we can reflect upon some lessons that we learn from his work, from his being willing to be made nothing, so that in him we might find everything. So first, in this state of humiliation, we must consider before his incarnation was his dissension, his dissension, his willingness to come down. He willingly left his place in glory and his status of glory to come down to a fallen creation. He prayed about this glory in John 17, 5, when he prayed, asking the Father that he would grant him the glory that he had with him before the foundation of the world. Christ, for a time, veiled the glory of his divine nature behind the frail weakness of human nature. And that leads to the next step, that is his incarnation, that we specifically celebrate this time of year. His incarnation was his willingness to take on human flesh. And that is really the miracle of all miracles in the Bible. And it's what we've heard about tonight. Even though he was in the line of David, the king of Israel, he was in a regal lineage, it still did not merit him room at the inn in Bethlehem. Can you imagine the unchanging God taking on the weakness of mortality? The creator of the universe lying in a cattle trough. And the Lord of all things being born in a barn. Such condescension. Such self-emptying. Such humiliation. But the humiliation didn't stop with just his birth. Those same things extend throughout the rest of his life. He was born not in a palace, but to a family headed by a carpenter. A manual laborer. The king of kings was born into a life of hard manual labor. And when they went to present the young Jesus at the temple, Luke 2 tells us that they brought a pair of turtle doves, which the law of Moses says was the poorest offering admitted under the law. They didn't have enough money for a lamb, for a proper offering. The king of all glory, the God of all riches, was born to a family in poverty. He deserved robes of purple and fine linen, and yet he came down to rags. And no sooner had he been born than the attacks against him began. You know, Herod sought to kill him, which led Jesus to be driven to Egypt, just like Israel had been before him. And when he returned, they didn't settle in Jerusalem. They didn't settle in Jericho. They settled in Nazareth, a backwater town with no claim to fame. They had no rabbinical school. They had no good football team. Even people of his day and age asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Jesus was indeed despised and rejected by men, as the prophet Isaiah tells us. And when he began his ministry, he was immediately subjected to the temptation of the devil himself in in the desert. But unlike Israel, which passed through their baptism of the Red Sea and floundered for 40 years in the desert, Jesus was baptized by John, was led into the desert, fasted for 40 days, and successfully resisted the temptations of Satan. Imagine Satan, the father of lies, trying to entice into sin the God of all holiness and righteousness. How offensive, how odious it must have been to him to have evil offered up to man of such purity and holiness. But as one Puritan wrote, in his holy soul was no fuel to be found to be kindled by the fiery darts of Satan. There was no evil in him that could be kindled by those temptations. But this trial was not just a one-time event. Indeed, his whole life was a series of afflictions. Just as he was born poor into poverty, he also lived and died poor. Matthew 8:20 tells us that he says foxes have their holes and birds have their nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Throughout his ministry, he was often subsisting off the charity of some poor saintly woman. He knew what it was to suffer hunger and to lack. And his afflictions did not stop there. His humiliation continued. He was ever a man of sorrows. He was a victim of grief, as we saw in the episode with Lazarus and his death. He was subject to disappointment. Jesus was wronged. He was slandered. He was insulted. He was called a drunkard. He was called a sinner. He was rejected. John 1 tells us that he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world knew him not. He came to his own people but they received him not. He truly was despised and the world esteemed him not as Isaiah prophesied. Some tried to stone him. Some tried to trap him. Some sought to frame him. Some sought to bring an end to his life. And can you believe that he willingly undertook such a mission? What humiliation. What condescension to rescue a sinful people and to redeem a loveless bride. But his humiliation hadn't ended yet. He further suffered being betrayed by one of his own. Judas, one of the twelve, betrayed him for a bag of silver. Imagine the all-trustworthy God of light being stabbed in the back by one of his own. So low. So humble. And then, to bring him even nowhere, the all-knowing God of the universe is put through a sham of a trial. A mockery of justice before the eternal judge of all things. The clearly unjust condemning the king of righteousness. The murderous condemning the son of love. And the, the prideful condemning to death the meek and the lowly. And during all this, his disciples abandoned him. He was alone. Indeed, even the boldest of his disciples, that is, Peter, denied him three times. How much lower could this Christ sink? But the humiliation continued. 
He was beaten, whipped, scourged, forced to, to carry on his back the wooden cross that would bring him to his grave. And when all had been accomplished, he was laid in the grave. The final step in his mission of humiliation. And you might be saying to yourself, Pastor, how is this encouraging? It's Christmas time. You don't talk about stuff like this. This is Christmas. Well, Christ's state of humiliation, his whole life of humiliation is encouraging to us in many ways. First, his willingness to undergo such humiliation demonstrates his love for his people. We don't have to wonder how much God loves us. He has demonstrated through his son the depths of the love that he has for us. Willingly embracing a mission that would include such humiliation, such suffering, shows us the seeming boundless nature of God's affection towards his church. Christ's humiliation demonstrates his love for his people. Secondly, his willingness to undergo such humiliation makes him a fitting substitute for his people. You see, Christ had to defend and take on, descend and take on human flesh, the fullness of human nature, if he were to become a fitting substitute for us. You see, we had all earned death. And if there were to be a substitute for us, it couldn't be an angel. It couldn't be a dog or a cat or a lamb or a goat or anything else. It had to be a man, fully man. Christ has borne the punishment that we deserve to God for our sins. You see, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. When we speak unkindly, when we grumble, when we comp complain, when we covet, when we're jealous in our hearts of the things other people have, we earn the wages of death. But because he was fully man, we know that he was a fitting sacrifice. If we have repented of our sins and believed in his promise of salvation, then there is nothing left for us to do. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world has actually done that. He is the sufficient offering of atonement in place for our sins. We can be encouraged because he was a fitting substitute for his people. But not only that, his willingness to undergo such humiliation means that he has fully merited salvation for his people. You see, he's not only removed the sentence of death that had hung over us like a cloud, he has positively earned for us eternal life. Not only has he taken us out of hell, he has indeed placed us into heaven. And he has done this because his life of suffering was meritorious for all of his people. He's fully earned salvation for his bride. Fourth, his willingness to undergo this state of humiliation makes him, for us, a sympathetic high priest. Because he has suffered the lowest of lows, he knows what it's like to suffer as well. He's not a distant God that is cold and unfamiliar with agony and with grief. Many of us this time of year can feel lonely. And great grief. Christ knows what it's like to feel lonely. 
He hung on the cross, exposed and lonely. His disciples abandoned him. He knows what it's like to feel pain. He's not some ethereal God. He's a real God that has a body, a body that has felt pain. He is able to sympathize with us in our failing and aching bodies. He knows what it's like to feel betrayal. He knows what it's like to feel hurt. He knows what it's like to be slandered, falsely accused. He can sympathize with us, and that makes it all the easier to go to him and trust him. When he says he can provide for us comfort and peace, we know that this is not an empty or hollow promise because he is a high priest that has walked the same paths. He has felt the same stings. and He was faithful throughout. Finally, Christ's humiliation is encouraging to us because his successful path in his mission has earned for him not permanency in the state of humiliation, but has earned for him a glorious exaltation. Listen to the words of Paul in Philippians 2. He says, Have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself, By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being bound, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, what has God done? God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, because Christ was willing to go through such a state of humiliation, and yet remain without sin, without any grumbling, without any coveting, without any bitterness, Christ has earned for himself a state of exaltation. He has been raised from the dead after three days in the tomb, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and is even now serving as our great prophet, priest, and king in his exaltation. And the promise for us, for any that would come to him by faith and believe in his good news, is that we too can be forgiven of our sins. We can taste of his exaltation. We too can be raised from the dead and we can enjoy the presence of God for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. I hope that you will hear this message of our great humble king and that you will join him. That you will believe in him and by believing join him in his exaltation. And all of this, all of Christ's humiliation, all of this good news, all of this promised exaltation is why we can sing joy to the world this time of year. It's because Christ's humility, demonstrated through his state of humiliation, shows us the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to see this Christ more clearly even now than before. Help us to see him during this Christmas season, not merely as the babe who came, but as the faithful king that has saved and ransomed his bride. 
and by his humiliation has earned for his bride a glorious exaltation. In Christ's name, amen.